0: Good morning to you. Nice cup of coffee in our Salt Lake City cup. Beautiful place out there, Salt Lake City. Mm, That's good stuff in the morning. Today we're talking about AC3. We made it AC3. This is another big control. So for this control, we're gonna split in half. We're not gonna do the control and then the enhancement. We're gonna do the control today and we're gonna do about five of the enhancements and then we're gonna finish up probably another 10 enhancements Tomorrow, this is a big control. It's an important control, and so we start start talking about access enforcement. This is when we talk about mandatory access control and discretionary access control, um, separate uh, um, dual access control, um, things that uh, really start tightening down control of your system. So, let's jump into the slide deck and take a look at it. But first, let's do the intro. was just a little bit high and I apologize I shifted the time around um, but still somehow the garbage man seems to come right at the time I'm going live so it used to be earlier I moved back a little bit later now the garbage man's right here as I'm starting hopefully hopefully it's not gonna be too much of a distraction but let's jump into this thing um, take a look at the slide deck so what we're talking about here is uh NIST Special Publication 853 revision 5 control AC3 access enforcement. So, talk about the discussion on this one. We're going to have some some large discussion conversations. Hold on, you need to get this off there. We may end up waiting for the garbage man. So, anyways, um, AC3 itself is pretty straightforward, pretty a, a pretty small base control, right? So discussion around AC3 is access control policies control access between active entities or subjects, uh, users or processes acting on behalf of users, um, and passive entity or objects, i.e., de- devices, files, uh, records, domains in organizational systems. So all we're saying is subjects; those are people; those are Uh, System accounts those are machine accounts. That's the subject and then the object is things that we're trying to get to files uh, printers uh, Devices, whatever are the objects in the operating system in addition to enforcing authorized access at the system level and recognize that systems can host many applications and services in a support of mission and business functions access enforcement mechanisms can be employed at the application and service level to provide increased security and privacy. So we're saying we can have these access controls at the information system level, which is important, but then we can also have them at the application level. So we put that in more common terms is your your Windows or your Linux system can have access controls on it, but then Word or PowerPoint, or your Oracle database. Whatever's writing on there can have additional levels of access control. So we want to put access controls layered on the system, and we'll have to do that in a way that makes sense for our organization. Um, In contrast to logical access controls that are implemented within the system, physical access controls are addressed by the controls in the physical and environmental protection family, the PE family. We know that that's like keeping people away, actual people putting their hands on your system. We don't want people to put their hands on the system without having authorization. That's that's a bad thing. In this control, we're only talking about logical access control, access control through the network, through the information system. So this, this is the control. This is the entirety of AC, AC3, the base control. Enforce approved authorizations for it logical access to information system resources in accordance with applicable access control policies so we're leaving it up to the organization to define it and we with this control unlike many of the others we've seen already this control really relies on the enhancements um, that's what makes this one uh, really stick right so we've got a lot of related controls um, I'm not going to read them all we've got our rev- uh, our references uh, the Privacy Act, OMB A 130 uh, Special Publications 800-57-1, 57-2, 57-3, uh, 162, 178, and IR-7874. Those are all references. We can read more about this, but we're just going to dive in and look at the control itself. So um, this is how we would assess the control if I was coming around as the security control assessor to look at the control to determine if it's in place and really the assessment objective, determine if the information system enforces approved authorization for logical access to information system, information and system resources in accordance with applicable access control policy. So we're gonna rely on policies. We wanna look at those policies to see what it's all about. So we're gonna examine, we're gonna interview and test, and obviously we're gonna examine that access control policy and procedures, addressing access enforcement, and then a bunch of other stuff. But the biggest thing I'm gonna look for Show me your access control policy. I want to see how you're doing this. Are you doing mandatory access control? Are you doing discretionary access control? How are you handling all the things that are around this requirement? How are you doing it, right? Um, I can interview personnel with access enforcement responsibility, information security responsibility, network and system administrators, those kind of folks. And then I'm obviously going to test the mechanisms to see if the access control works. Can I log in with a person that is authorized to, to maybe access the information. Can I access it? And then, you know, if I log in as a person that's not authorized, can I get to the information as well? That'd be a big failure, of course. So that is AC3 by itself. Now, when we start looking at the enhancements, that's really where the good stuff comes from this control. It's really laid back in the enhancements, obviously. So we start with enhancement one. This one's been withdrawn. It's been Incorporated into AC6, restricted access to privilege functions. When we get to AC6 in a couple days, we'll look at this, where this enhancement was, uh, but it's gone. Obviously, there's nothing to test, and that's just the way it is. So we move on to enhancement two, AC3 enhancement two, and this is dual authorization. So dual authorization, also known as two-person control, reduces risk related to insider threats. Dual authorization mechanisms require the approval of two authorized individuals to execute. Uh, To reduce the risk of collusion, organizations consider rotating dual authorization duties. Organizations consider risks associated with implementing dual authorization mechanisms when immediate response is necessary to ensure public and environmental safety. So if you're older like me, if you've been around a while, you remember a a movie called War Games. Um, in War Games, the, the opening scene of it is a Minuteman missile silo, and there's two officers, and they have to launch a missile. And to do it, both of them need to turn their key. And that's a big point of contention at the beginning. If both of them don't turn the key, then they can't launch the missile. It requires dual authorization. And in that situation, the keys are placed far enough apart where one person couldn't reach both of the key. The, uh, key slot at locations. So two people needed to tur- turn the keys. That's what we're talking about here. Um, we can do this fairly easily. Um, I've seen it done in break glass accounts where we say, we create a break glass account, and those are those emergency accounts that are used if something goes bad, and usually they have all the rights under the sun so they can fix the system and get things going again. So they have a lot of power, so we want to restrict them fairly securely So what we can do is we can create that break glass account, we can create a long password, and then we can cut the password in half and give the password to two people, right? So now to enter the password, two people would have to be present and one person would enter half of the password and the other person would enter the other half of the password. That's a really easy way to do this dual authorization. Um, There's other mechanisms that can do it, right? Now we wanna sit the second part of this is consider the risks associated with implementing dual authorization when there's an immediate response necessary. And that's really to ensure public and environmental safety. So if we have dual authorization, those two people need to be there to present their password. Uh, now maybe it's present their multi-factor token, right? Uh, maybe it's to protect their cat card. In, in essence, two people have to be there so it may take a while for both people to get there. So there may be an impact if there's a something that's impacting public or environmental safety. So we have to think about that when we enforce this dual authorization. It needs to be thought out fairly well, right? So here's what the control itself looked like. En- enforce dual authorization for, and here's our organizationally defined variable. It's an assignment, and we're going to say organizationally defined privileged commands and or other organizationally defined actions. For my fictitious example, I said enforce dual authorizations for the use of organizational break glass accounts and functions, right? So, of course, this is going to be up to your organization to define this. That's why NIST left it in square brackets. You determine when you want to use dual authorization. Maybe you're never going to use it. Maybe because of the type of systems you have, the systems are not that critical, or the uh, the protection for environmental and other safety is more power- paramount than this. So we have our related controls, CP9 and MP6, but that's that's the control. So let's look how we would assess this. Um, our assessment methods are examine, interview, and test. We have all three. Um, And we can look at the access control policy procedures um, addressing the uh, access enforcement and dual authorization. Um, That should be in there. That should be spelled out in our access control policy and procedures. Where do we use it? When do we use this? There's another, you know, a bunch of other documents, including a list of privileged commands that require dual authorizations. Um, We're going to want to interview people that have the ability to to do this dual authorization. Let's talk to them. Let's talk out how they do this dual authorization. And then let's test it. Let's test those mechanisms. Let's see if I can get uh, one of those commands to run without using dual authorization. Uh, If that happens, there's a problem. There's a breakdown in this control. So that's AC3 enhancement tool dual authorization. This is, I always think about this as those two officers in the missile silo turning their keys. This is two people have to be there to make, uh, make the access happen. Otherwise you, you can't get to the data. You can't make the system function. You can't do what you're trying to do. So this enhancement, AC3 enhancement three, um, is is probably the big one. This is the one we really want to think about today. I'm going to maybe shrink my screen down just a tad so you can see it. Mandatory access control or MAC. People get tied up around this and the reason is it's a little more cumbersome. It's a little more complex. And for that reason this the discussion on this particular enhancement actually covers three slides so we're going to walk through this we're going to take a little bit of time because mandatory access control is one of the things that's really important in high impact systems or systems with very sensitive information Uh, so discussion around this one is mandatory access control is a type of non-discretionary access control mandatory mandatory access control policies constrain what actions subjects can take with what information Uh, obtained from objects for which they have already been granted access. This prevents the subjects from passing the information to unauthorized subjects or objects. Mandatory access control policies constrain actions that subjects can take with respect to the propagation of access control privilege. That is, a subject with a privilege cannot pass that privilege on to other subjects. The policy is uniformly enforced over all subjects and objects with the system you know, to which the system has control otherwise the access policy can be circumvented the enforcement is provided by an implementation that meets the reference monitor concept as described in AC25 way down the road we'll get to it though the policy is bounded by the system which means once the information is passed outside the control of the systems additional means may be required to ensure uh, that the constraints of the information remained in effect. So that's a little bit cumbersome for people that don't understand ma- mandatory access control. So we'll back off a little bit, and the easiest way to understand mandatory access control is if you understand how security clearances and access to confidential information works within the US government. Uh, probably every government. Probably does the same way. So, In the U.S. government, we have subjects, um, and a subject is normally a person, but in the the case of logical access control, a subject could be a system account, right? Subjects are normally granted a clearance, and we'll think about just people. So a person may have a secret clearance, they may have a confidential clearance, they may have a top secret clearance. So they've got a clearance level. And then on the other hand, we have objects which could be a printer, it could be a file, it could be another type of object that lives on a a system, right? So let's just talk about a, a file, say a Word document. In mandatory access control, all of those Word documents are given a level of access. So let's say the level of access for a file is secret. So if that level of access is secret, someone with a secret clearance can't access that object. We're not gonna talk about need to know any of that stuff right now because that's beyond mandatory access control. We're just gonna say, if that file is is labeled as secret, a person with a confidential uh, clearance level, that's the object, that's the the, um, constraint they have on their access, their confidential, that's lower than secret. They would not be able to access that object um in addition that person with the secret clearance could not give that object to the person with the confidential clearance they couldn't change the attributes and make it available even if they wanted to to that person with the lower level of of clearance so the mandatory access control always looks at the clearance level or the access rights of that subject and the requirements of the object right and this is a little different we'll talk about um We'll talk about non-discretionary. Uh, uh, we'll talk about we'll, we'll talk about other access controls later. Let me let's just leave it at that. So um, that's the first part. Now we gotta have we have subjects that have a clearance level. We have objects that have a, a clearance requirement, and you can't change that in mandatory access control. Once it's set by the system, it can't be changed, right? Um, other than by the person that created. So if we go on, there's more to this, right? There's, I told you there's a, big, there's a big control, right? So trusted subjects described above are granted privileged consent with the concept of least privilege, right? They shouldn't have access to anything more than, than they should. Um, trusted subjects are only given the minimum privileges necessary for satisfying the organizational or business missions and needs relative to the above policy. The control is most applicable when there is a mandate that establishes a policy regarding access controlled, uh, unclassified information or classified information, and some users of the system are not authorized access to such information resident in the system. So the good use case, what we're saying here is a good use case for mandatory access control is to have an information system where people of different classification levels uh, somebody has secret. somebody has confidential, and they're all using the same information. That way we can make certain objects or certain files not available to other people. And we make it so even the people that have access to the files can't change them in a way that people that are not authorized access to the file could get to them. So mandatory access control is much, much more strict than discretionary access control. right? So finally, the last thing is the last slide on this one. Mandatory access control can operate in conjunction with discretionary access control described in the next enhancement, AC3 Enhancement 4. A subject constrained in its operation by mandatory access control policies can still operate under less rigorous constraints of AC3 Enhancement 4, but mandatory access control policies take precedence over the less rigorous constraints of AC3 Enhancement 4. For example, while mandatory access control uh, policy imposes a constraint that prevents a subject from passing information to another subject operating at a different impact or classification level ac3 enhancement 4 prevents the subject to pass the information to any other subject with the same impact or classification level as the subject examples of mandatory access control policies include the bella la Padula policy to protect confidentiality of information and the biba policy to protect the integrity of information so what we're saying here is that, that discretionary and non-discretionary access controls can live together right um, but if they are living together mandatory access control should always take precedence so if I'm trying to pass a file that i have object i, I my clearance level allows me access to I can pass it to someone else with the same clearance level with the same need to know or the same least privilege. But I can't pass it to someone with the less um, a lesser amount of privilege, right? So in our example, I have a secret clearance. I can't pass that file to someone with a confidential clearance, even though I have rights to do it, right? And we'll see that in discretionary access control. I can do that all day long. I can take a file. I can change the permissions of it. I can give it to someone else. That's why mandatory access control, or MAC, is so important in sensitive systems. And we see this. It it was early, early it was created, um, systems were created by the NSA. Uh, SE Linux is a great example. Um, And and it was really kind of, it was close hold till about 10 years ago. And now if you get any uh, mainstream distribution of of Linux, uh, there's the ability to turn on SE Linux within that within that operating system. And if you turn on SE Linux, then you've turned on mandatory access control. And for a while, systems were coming out, Linux systems were coming out with SE Linux on by default. And it really caused some problems with people because people were used to discretionary access control. And when they turned this re- Linux system on and had mandatory access control, it, it really caused some problems. So the first thing people tried to do is how do I turn off this SE Linux function? So. That's really what we're talking about with this control. Um, Here's what the control looks like. It's kind of big, kind of meaty, right? Uh, We want to enforce the assignment is the organization defined mandatory access control policy over the set of covered subjects and objects specified in the policy where the policy is A, uniformly enforced across covered subjects and objects within the system. And B, specifies the subject has been granted access to the information constrained from doing the following, passing the information to unauthorized subjects or objects, granted its privileges to other other subjects, changing one or more uh, security attributes specified by the policy on the subjects, objects, the system or system components, choosing the security attributes and attribute values specified by the policy to be associated with the newly created or modified objects, or changing the rules governing access controls and finally, specifies another organizationally defined variable. The assignment um, of the organizationally defined subjects may be granted explicit um, organizationally defined privileges such that they're not limited by any defined subsets or all of the defined subsets uh, in the above constraints. So we constrain it in that one through five. You know, uh, we want to make sure that the subject is not allowed to do any of those things in one, one to five. But we have this caveat, if we have the need for it, um, we can create accounts that may be able to bypass that. And in my fictitious example, we wanna enforce the organization's mandatory access control policy. And um, we could say Bill LaPadula if we wanted there, um, or whatever makes sense for your organization. I like that the, we define a separate policy that can define what can and can't be done. And it gives us some linkage to um, leadership's backing of this control. And then the other one we get down and see, we have specify that discuss- disaster recovery administrators may be uh, explicitly granted root level access such that they're not limited by any subset or all of the above constraints. We're just drawing out, you know, that's, this is a fictitious example. This could be different, and I expect it to be different for your organization. So that's how the control may look to you for mandatory access control, or MAC. Our related controls, SC7, not a ton of them. And up front, we have our, examine, our, our, our assessment methods, examine, interview, and test. And again, start with that mandatory access control policy. Uh, look at the access control policies. Look at procedures for enforcing that. Look at the security plan. So we want to look at all those things, right? Um, I'm going to review all the document documentation we can get. We want to interview those people that have access enforcement responsibilities and those people that have the capability to access the system. And then we want to test the mechanisms and see if we can pass us. Maybe, maybe we can move a, a fake, and i say, don't, don't do this with real documents. When you're testing this, I would never suggest you do this with real documents. Um, create a document, make sure that someone validates that it has no sensitive information, label it at the secret level and try to pass it to someone uh, with a confidential clearance. Um, if you can do that, then this this policy is broken, right? And if you're in the commercial world, it's the same thing. If you have something that's res- restricted data, maybe it's proprietary and you don't want to be able to release it, try to pass it to someone um, that's not. And I'm saying, again, always with test data. Don't try to do this with real data because if you do, If you are able to move that document to a lower classification, then you've got a spill, and there's another problem to deal with. Always, for the test like this, always create some type of fake data you're going to push across. Um, And again, you see, determine if the organization defines mandatory access control policies uh, that must be enforced over subjects and objects. Um, Then make sure that the organization defines those subjects and objects in an organizationally defined mandatory access control policy, and how they're to be enforced. Um, Determine if the organization defines objects over which the organizationally defined mandatory access control policies are to be enforced. Where where are we doing this? And then let's see if they do it. Make make sure that the organization defines subjects that may be explicitly granted privilege, privilege, such as they're not limited. That's our root level disaster recovery account. Um, Determine if the organization defines privileges that may be granted to the organization to define subjects, and then determine if the information system enforces those in organizationally defined mandatory access control policies over all the subjects, ensuring that it's uniformly uh, enforced across all policies and subjects. Um, and the subject has been granted access to the information and is constrained from doing any of the following. You know, They can't give it to an unauthorized object or subject. Um, they can't grant its privileges to other subjects. It can't change the subjects, the objects, the information system, or the system components. We want to make sure that it can't do all of that stuff, right? Make sure it, uh, uh, choosing a security attribute values be associated with a newly created or modified object. Uh, we can't, shouldn't be able to do that. Changing the rules governing access control. These are all important things, and then the and determine that the organization defines subjects. Uh, may be explicitly granted organizational level privileges that are not limited by or some or all of the above constraints. That's our root level account again. Make sure that if that account exists, it's defined and, and we know how it's going to be used, right? Um, so that's mandatory access control. That's probably the one I was worried about the most this morning. It's, it's the most cumbersome. It's the most, um, you know, Kind of hard to understand if you don't understand access control. Just know that it's all about a subject and an object. And those subjects and objects both have to have a classification level. And a subject sh- should not be able to access any object that's rated or classified at a higher level than the classification uh, the clearance that they have. And that's really, we see this a lot in um, classified systems because we want to make sure that the information is protected. And that's really where we, where we come from. Now, on the other side of this is we have an access control enforcement discretionary access control. So with mandatory access control, that was also called non-discretionary access control. Um, that's normally in Linux systems like SE Linux. We talk about discretionary access controls. That's what we see in things like Windows, right? So discussion around discretionary access controls think about discretionary that means you have the ability to get your discretion to change things so when discretionary access policies are implemented subjects are not constrained with regard to the actions they can take with information for which they have already been granted access thus subjects that have been granted access to information are not prevented from passing it to information uh, passing the information to other subjects or ob- objects. Um, the subjects have the discretion to pass that information. Discretionary access controls can operate in conjunction with mandatory access controls, as described in AC3 and a- uh, AC3 enhancement 3 and AC3 enhancement 15, like we talked about before, a subject that's constrained in its operation by mandatory access control policies, can still operate under less rigorous constraints of discretionary access control. Therefore, while AC3 Enhancement 3 imposes constraints that prevents a subject from passing information to another subject operating at a different classification level, AC3 Enhancement 4 permits the subject to pass the information to any subject at the same impact or classification level. Policy is bounded by the system once the information is passed outside of the system, control, additional means may be required to ensure that constraints remain in effect. While traditional dis- definitions of discretionary access control require identity-based access control, that limitation is not required for this particular discretionary access control. So we're talking about a- identity-based controls. We're not gonna cover them here, we'll cover them in another place. And we're just saying the same thing. We can have a discretionary and non-discretionary living hand in hand with each other, Just know that with discretionary access control, that person that has access to information, it's up to their discretion to pass it on to whoever they want. With mandatory access control, it's not. That access control is locked in place. When it's labeled as secret, it's labeled as secret and the the user accessing it, the subject accessing it, can't change that to confidential and give it to someone else. While with discretionary access control, they may be able to access a file that shouldn't be going to another person, and they can change it and send it to another person. Now, we do this in, in a lot of systems. We have discretionary access control because it provides a level of access control um, that's not as rigid as mandatory access control. It allows more functionality for the system. So it's a risk-based decision where we're going to use which type of access control. So it's important to understand the difference and different differentiation between... Mandatory access control or non discretionary access control and discretionary access control. And again, the big big giveaway is that discretionary. It's at your discretion how you're going to manage that access control. So here's what the control looks like we're going to enforce, and there's their, a, a ver- our uh, organizationally defined variable, and it's an assignment, the organizationally defined discretionary access control policy over the set of covered subjects and objects in the specified policy. And where the policy specifies that a subject has been granted to an access to information. um, Hold on, back that up. Um, And where the policy specifies that a subject that has been granted access to information can do one or more of the following. So they can, in discretionary, they can do these things. right? They can pass the information to other subjects or objects. They can grant its privilege to other subjects. Uh, It can change the security attributes on subjects, objects, the system or system components. It can choose the security attributes to be associated with newly created or revised objects. And it can change the rules governing the access control. This should be all defined in the policy, which you can and can't do, right? Um, But normally a lot of people will take it right out of the box Discretionary access control will allow people to do all of these things, right? In our fake example, the only thing I've added is the organization's discretionary access control policy is our variable. Um, We want to look at that policy. That policy should define all of this good stuff, uh, all the things we're talking about here. So no related controls for this one. Um, We do have the ability to examine, interview, and test. Again, we'll look at the access control policy, the discretionary access control policy the procedures addressing access enforcement, the security plan. We'll look at all those documents. We'll make sure that they um, cover the information that is required in the control and that it really tells the people what they can do. Then we'll interview organizational personnel with access enforcement responsibility, and then those folks that also have um, access to to the system, folks with security responsibility, system developers, system and network administrators, And then let's check those automated mechanisms implementing discretionary access control. Just because it's discretionary access control doesn't mean that there's no access control. So when I put permissions on a file that say only maybe the network admin group should have access to the file, and I try to access with a system admin account, I still shouldn't be able to get to it. But with discretionary access control, I can go in as an authorized user and say, not only does the network admin group get access, I'm going to also be able to say, I'm going to add the system admin group, and now they can have access. So we can test all these things, make sure they're working right, make sure that they're keeping out the folks they should be keeping out, because just because discretionary access control operates at a lower security level than mandatory access control, it is still an access control mechanism. This is those file permissions we put on our file. Who has access to a file? Who can read it? The only difference is who has the ability to change those permissions, right? With discretionary access control, it's anyone that has access to it, right? So we wanna think about that. We wanna make sure we're thinking about where we wanna cover these things. Um, So here it is. Um, The assessment objective determine if the organization defines discretionary access control policies to be enforced over the defined subjects and objects. Um, And then, the information system enforced the organizationally defined discretionary access control policies over the defined subjects and objects where the policy specifies that a subject has been granted access to the information and can do one or more of the following. They can pass it to other security objects or subjects. They can grant its privileges to other subjects. It can change the security attributes on objects, subjects, information system, or information system components. It can choose the security attributes to be associated with newly created or revised objects, and it can change the rules governing access based on whatever that policy says, right? Um, So that's that's mandatory and discretionary access control, non-discretionary and discretionary access control, depending on which way you want to look at it. It's important to to know these two things. Um, Know that AC3, and I've got that backwards there, uh, how often did I put that backwards? Wow. I was dyslexic on this whole control. Uh, CA3. I need to fix that. Um, AC3 is really what it was. Sorry about that, guys. It was AC3, not CA3. Um, their last control, last enhancement we're going to talk about today is uh, AC3 enhancement 5, security relevant information. So this is it's important. We can think about what is security-relevant information, and how are we gonna protect it? So the discussion around this one is, security-relevant information is information within systems that can potentially impact the operation of security functions or the provisions of security services in a manner that could result in the failure to enforce system security and privacy policies, or maintain the separation of code and data. Security-relevant information includes access control lists, filtering rules, Uh, for routers or firewall configuration parameters for security services and cryptographic key management information secure non-operational system states include the times in which systems are not performing missions or business related processing such as when the system is offline for maintenance booting up troubleshooting or shutting down so really we're saying okay first here the first part is this is what security relevant information is your firewall lists your access control list, your key management information, cryptographic key management information, um, what are configuration parameters? How do we build our secure systems? Those all have to be defined as um, security, relevant inform- security relevant information. Right. Um, the second part here is secure non-operational system states. This is when, when we we're kind of not worried so much about it. Uh, when it's not performing biz, mission or business-related processing, uh, when it's offline for maintenance, boot up, troubleshooting, or shutdown. Right? So we want to make sure it's protected uh, when it's online, when it's available. We want to protect this information from getting out to people who aren't authorized to look at it. So control looks like this, prevent access to, uh, and there's our variable, um, and its assignment is an organization-defined security-relevant information except during secure non-operational states right so my fake system i just said prevent access to the information designated by the information handling policy as security relevant that way we can point to another document except during secure non-operable non-operable system states very short assessment look we look at this we still have examine, interview and test we're going to examine that access control policy procedures addressing access enforcement security plan, information system design documentation, a bunch of other objects within the examine area we can look at. We can interview organizational personnel with access enforcement responsibilities, system network administrators, organizational personnel with information security responsibilities, and system developers. And then we can test the automated mechanism preventing access to security relevant information within the information system. So maybe I want to try to get to the uh, firewall rule set without having access to it. That may be one of uh, one of the things I try to do as an assessor. So as an assessor, I'm going to determine if the organization defines security relevant information to which the information system prevents access during secure uh, non-operational, during, except during secure non-operable system states. Um, let me tell it again. The organization defines security relevant information to which the information system prevents access, except during, during secure, non-operational system states, like when it's booting up. And then also that the information system prevents access to organizationally defined, security-relevant information, uh, except in those states, right? So we're saying we define it first and that we're actually doing it. We're actually preventing that access. So those are two important things we need to do, and that's really what we're looking at in this control. And that's where I'm going to draw the line right there this morning. It's a lot of information to cover. I know there was a lot there. And thinking about the the biggest chunk of what we talked about so far, um, mandatory access control and discretionary access control, right? We talked about dual authorizations and preventing access to security relevant information. But really in this first chunk, the mandatory and discretionary access controls uh, are really the important pieces to look at so far you obviously should know all these enhancements uh, at least know where to look them up and what they mean when you're looking at them uh, and that's important again all this stuff is going to be rolled into that course on security controls and assessing security controls um again if you have access if you're going through the the rmf course now you'll get immediate access to that as it's being built out and it's not going to cost you anything extra to be included as we go through it um i was say, you know i I'd love to see you guys here in the morning uh, pretty quiet this morning because this was a weird, cumbersome task to jump on. This mandatory and discretionary access control is, is a big thing. But, you know, if you can hit the, hit the button, subscribe to the channel, hit the bell to be notified, like the video. I'd love more than anything to see your comments on this stuff, comments on mandatory access control, comments on discretionary access control. Are you seeing these in place anywhere? Um, what's your experience with them that you can talk about? Obviously, I never want to hear you talking about stuff you shouldn't be talking about, but where are you seeing? Where are you seeing this stuff? Are you seeing a lot of people implementing mandatory access control? Have you come across it in a Linux system? Have you had that SE Linux turned on and we're like, hey, I don't know what to do with this. What are your thoughts around this stuff? I'd really love to hear what you got to say. Um, thanks for joining the channel. Thanks for joining us joining this morning. Uh, if you're watching later in the day thanks thanks for watching later uh, do throw those comments below i'd love to hear your comments on where we're going with walking through all of these controls is it helping you or is it not helping you uh let me know um i haven't been mentioned this stuff later after i'm done with the broadcast um i turn this into an mp3 and i put it out on pot the podcast world you can see cup of cyber out on podcasts as well um it's just out there in case you want to grab it. Really no, no, uh, nothing other than no alternative motives. I don't get anything for posting into the podcast. I don't make any, anything on it. It's just out there if you want to get it in audio-only format. That's just for you. Um, so that being said, that's what I got to talk about this morning. AC3, uh, the main control, and up to uh, Enhancement 5. We'll cover the rest of it tomorrow morning. Hope to see you there. And hopefully your brain isn't hurting from mandatory and discretionary access controls. Uh, you guys may get it down; it may be no problem. But I know a lot of people struggle with those two. So, until tomorrow, be good. To you, be good to yourselves. Be good to your friends. Take care of your friends, your family, your coworkers. Take care of each other. Um, I didn't see the uh, uh, the bravo's out there. I didn't see Mike. Mike's here at Bravo, but they're going to tell you you'll get some. I'm going to tell you just take care of each other, and we'll see you tomorrow morning, eight a.m. same time same place.